challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, you found it. You found the place here, Sundays with Dr. Sean. We are, uh, we're excited to have you. It's, uh, it's going to be fast and furious today. Uh, it's, the reason why is because of the Super Bowl. I'm told on the way here, uh, driving here, that somebody said, hey, there's a Super Bowl. Are you going to see a Super Bowl? And I said, no, I don't, what? But I am going to watch the Super Bowl. I'm just kidding. So there's a big sporting event tonight all around the world. People are uh, making a big deal of it. And I'm told it's one of the biggest uh, sporting events uh, that there is. I used to think the Indianapolis 500 was the biggest single-day event that there was, but apparently this is bigger. So that is a big deal. So because the Super Bowl is going to be on, I'm going to go – what I did was – this is what I did here. This is my thinking. I super abbreviated my message and so that you can listen to us and then watch the big game. Plus, I will preach super fast. So speaking of the game – for the players in the uh, – oh, wait a second. Before I go to that, Wednesday's show, you've got to pull up Wednesday's show. Go to drseangreener.com or theninjapastor.com. Go over to listen. Click on that. Listen to Wednesday's show because uh, it was a really a cool show. Mark Sutherland from the U.K., great guest. We're going to have him on again. We're already planning the next show. This coming Wednesday, the great Elizabeth Letchworth Christ will be on to give us the inside deal. What's going on in Washington? So that's going to be great. She's always a phenomenal guest, as, as you guys who uh, listen to the show know. All that said to say this, um, speaking of the game, you know, this is a big deal. And for the players of the Super Bowl, this is probably one of the biggest events of their lives. Up till now, you know, biggest events of their lives. Who knows what will happen in their lives from here on out, but probably uh, I would say it's probably a fair thing. I've never played in the Super Bowl, so I don't know. But um, they've never asked me to, so I, I haven't played yet. It's like the the, uh, the Trump people, you know, well, we're not going to play at inauguration. Half those people didn't even get asked to sing or play their instrument. But they're like, well, I'm not going to go. I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. But uh, And they didn't ask me to go either. So, but, so just, uh, I don't know, put yourself in their shoes maybe. If you ask the players, they might tell you there was nothing more important in their lives than the four quarters they're going to play in just a little bit. Nothing more important to them. And I guess we would really kind of understand that, you know, it's such a big deal. But they would be wrong, though right now they don't realize it. They don't realize it, and it's understandable that they don't realize it. The biggest day of their lives is the day that they face the truth of their mortality and their condition, and they either accept or reject 
the redemption story of the cross, the victory of Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, over the grave, his victory over the grave, and our salvation if and only if we embrace it. The name, capital N, of the game of life is Yeshua, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Almighty King, the name, the name of all names. It isn't about the game. It is all about the name. So I wanted to share this very brief message with you tonight, if I might. And those of you who are football fans who have joined us, by the way, welcome to upstate New York, and welcome to our guests in uh, chat. Chat is open. So thank you for joining us on the Super Bowl Sunday. Hebrews 10.23, and apparently people from all over the world. Hebrews 10.23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let me read that again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Sometimes in all of our lives, it may seem like there's no hope and no help. It seems like this week I've talked to a lot of people who have a lot of really serious issues in their life. Maybe it's uh, tumult at home turmoil on their job. Maybe they lost their job. Um, I didn't lose my health insurance this week, but I but I lost my health insurance. I don't have health insurance anymore. Maybe it was that. Maybe you have a family and it's a big deal. You know, a really, really big deal. Maybe maybe it's just discord in your life. And, and maybe, well, we'll talk about what it could be. But maybe you feel like there's no hope and no help. As though you have no more strength or ability to just to go on, just to take that next step. You're at the end of your natural self, and God seems, well, it seems like maybe God stopped listening to you. Maybe it seemed like that a long time ago. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's not a new development. You just haven't felt connected to God. But maybe, maybe you felt connected, and then something happened. Just something happened that it seems to you, it feels like to you, that God is no longer listening. And now maybe it's the darkest of dark nights and you feel like you just can't do anymore. The crazy thing is, is you've been responsible, you've been accountable, you've done, you've tried to be responsible for yourself, take responsibility for yourself and your family. You've tried to be accountable for the things you do well and the things you do poorly, your wins and your losses. And yet you're lost and feeling as though you literally have nothing left. Now, I've talked to a lot of people this week, a lot of people. One of the biggest problems I have in my health is extreme fatigue. But I've talked to a lot of people this week that are normal, healthy people who have said, man, did you get the number? And I said, what number? They said, the number of the bus that ran over me. Now, they're not sick. They're just tired. They're just fatigued. They're worn out, and there's just nothing much they feel like they can do to get out of their own way. You feel like you've exercised all the faith you have with all the capacity you have. You're empty now. You say, I got nothing left. Well, it being Super Bowl Sunday and all, maybe uh, future Hall of Fame quarterback Tom Brady will have some insight into dealing with the challenges we all face over time. I thought there was a really, really good article uh, by Barry Wilner and Stephen Guskowski. Um, they came up with this thinking, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's this big of a leap. 
Uh, I don't know much about either team. I know a little bit about the New England team, but I don't know much at all about the Atlanta Falcon team. And to tell the truth, I'm really not that, oh, man, I can't, I got to see the game. I got to uh, DVR the game. That's not me. If I miss it, I'm fine with it. It doesn't, no impact. I remember one year my best friend went to, uh, from high school, been lifelong best friends. He uh, was a big corporate guy, and he went to the football, went to the Super Bowl, and I watched just so I could see if I could see him in the crowd. It was a stupid, you know. And do I see him? There's a guy with blonde hair, you know. And then I'm texting him. Hey, are you in such and such section? No, idiot. I'm on the field. So he was actually on the field. He got to be on the sidelines. So this article is not a big leap, I guess, but some stuff stuck out to me. And, and I thought, well, this is interesting. Because to be honest with you, I, I really, although I'm not a football freak, I think Tom Brady at, at over 39 years old, you know, football, you, it stand, you know, the NFL stands for not for long. You don't get to play this game for long. It's a tough sport, you know. It's a really, really tough sport, really hard on your body. And there's this fresh group of people every year coming in from colleges filling, you know, I mean, it's, you, the competition gets more and more every year. you got to step it up every year. So, you know, the guys don't get to play for very long. But this guy's 39, over 39 years old. Teammates say they're just, they speak glowingly about it. You know, he's he's just, he's revered, but he's loved. And his team, you know, you see how hard his team works for him. Uh, there's a guy on the team named Edelman who is a quarterback. He was a quarterback, a uh, safety, and now he's like their top wide receiver because that's what they needed. New England Patriots needed. They needed a wide receiver. And this is the guy that said, hey, I'll do it. And somebody interviewed this Edelman guy one time, and they said, you know, you've never played receiver in your life. Why are you doing it now? Is it just so you can keep your job as an NFL football player? And he goes, no. He said, so I can play football with the likes of Hall of Famer Tom Brady. And I thought that was impressive. So his team loves him. His team loves him. So we'll establish that as a, as a benchmark. So the article goes on to say, there's no hiding it. One edge the New England Patriots have over the Atlanta Falcons in Sunday's Super Bowl cannot be denied. Experience. It's a factor never to be scoffed at when the AFC and the NFC what is that? American Football Conference and National Football Conference? Champions meet for the league title, which is the Super Bowl. Sure, New England, 16-2, and two, has a bunch of young players. 16 with four years or less in the NFL. And the Falcons, their record, I think, is 13-5, and five, actually have four guys who have played in a Super Bowl. Dwight Freeney, Courtney Upshaw, Deshaun Goldson, and Philip Wheeler. But don't let that mislead you. When a team has a quarterback and a coach in their seventh Super Bowl together, this coach, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady have been to seven Super Bowls as coach and quarterback. That really stood out to me. I guess I never did the math. Now, there were a bunch of other players that have actually helped win just two years ago. You know, they won. They won the Super Bowl. They're still on the team. Well, that's the kind of experience that can be key. Now, don't trust me or the guy that wrote this article. Trust his interview with Tom Brady. Tom Brady said this, I've got a good regulation of my emotions, and I know when I need to get amped up, and I know when I need to relax a little bit. 
and I think you learned those things, said Brady, three-time Super Bowl MVP who is four and two in the game. You kind of have to be right on the edge, he said. It's such an emotional game. You don't want to be out of control, but you can't play with no emotion. You strike different chords for different emotions at different times. Now, that might sound strange. Coming from a player you guys know, if you know anything about football and Tom Brady, he has a lot of emotion when he plays. He's really amped up. He gets his team. He is, you know who's the leader. You know, when, when he's on the field, you know who the leader is. So he rarely hides his feelings on the field. Just think back to his return game in Cleveland after his four-game Deflategate suspension. Remember, he was, he was this year. He was suspended for the first four games of the year. So that, they call that Deflategate. He was, uh, he was accused of, of uh, knowing about uh, the managers. I don't know what, how this helps you but, as a quarterback, but letting a little bit of air you know, underinflate a little bit. I don't know how that helps you, quite frankly, but apparently it does. So he was accused of that, and so the commissioner uh, fined him, did all this other stuff, and, and gave him a suspension. So he's back, you know, at the Cleveland game uh, after he finishes his suspension, and he's pumping up the Patriots fans that are there in Cleveland. He's going around during warm-ups and just finding the Patriots fans in the crowd and cheering them on and getting them. He's fired up. I mean, this guy's emotional. Yet he insists Super Bowl Sunday calls for moderation and approach. Now, when I read this, I thought, that doesn't seem right. This is the last game of the season, the biggest se- Look, you win the Super Bowl. That's a big deal. You got endorsements. Now, now I actually know personally a guy, I won't say his name. He played in – I've been in his home many times. He played uh, in I don't know how many Super Bowls, but in his rookie year, he was the Super Bowl M. V.P. And he lives in an apartment. And he's out of money. And he's been bankrupt several times. He played six years in the league. And he has no money. I can't really look at all of them like they're rich guys. But, but let's face it. You know, you think, you think that these guys are on. You know, they're amped. They're fired up. So Brady says, it's a long day, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, it's a long day because it's been a long week because there's a lot of things that you're doing. You're doing a lot more things this week than you would normally do for a game week. Just to get to the game, well, it ends up being a four-hour game, a longer pregame and a longer halftime, so it ends up being a a four-and-a-half to five-hour ordeal. You've got to be able to have something left at the end of the game. You can't waste it all early in the third quarter. I want you to think about this. One of the world's most successful athletes, Tom Brady, made reference to having a good regulation of his emotions. Now, he's inarguably the first time they vote for, first time he's eligible for the Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame, he'll get in. He'll be a consensus pick first time. You know, it'll be, that's a no-brainer. But he said, you've got to have a good regulation of your emotions. It's kind of what my messages have been about the past few weeks, you know, every Sunday. If you haven't listened, go to the ninjapastor.com or drjohngreener.com, blogtalkradio.com, backslash the ninja pastor, and listen to the sermons. They're all free. It's an interesting concept to me. Tom Brady's done seven of these Super Bowls, counting tonight's Super Bowl. He's done seven of these things. By the way, seven is a religious number in the Hebrew 
culture. It's clearly a worldwide stage. This is world. He's been on this worldwide stage seven times. I think he would know. Brady is comparing the perceived virtues of youth to the true virtues of self-control and discipline. You can only blame youthful indiscretion so many times. Like me, I'm 51 years old. I can no longer say, well, you know, I'm young. You know how it is. <laughs> you know, you can't do that anymore. But see, here's the thing. Self-control and discipline, that's been Tom Brady's life. That's what he stood for. You do a search of Tom Brady, just do Tom Brady diet, and you'll see how super strict his diet is. What he puts in it, he said, look, you can't be 39 years old in this league and expect to play quarterback in the Super Bowl if you aren't super careful about what you put into your body. So you do a search of Tom Brady's super strict diet. By the way, that's the very same diet I'm supposed to be on, Dr. Marangel, Bioenergy Med. Uh, he put me on that diet a long while ago. I need to dig that diet out and do it. The commitment to live his calling daily. See, Tom Brady understands this is my thing, man. He understood very early on, hey, I'm – well, you know, those of you who do know football and my research of Tom Brady, he didn't come into the league with a bunch of fanfare. I think he, he was like way down in the picks. He was, nobody even saw him coming. And, boy, when he got the chance to play, he really he shined. And you got to see what kind of leader he really is. So he embraced his commitment to live his calling daily without relent, which is exactly the daily discipline necessary to stay in the game at the highest level. Now, as you may be aware, not everything has gone perfect in Tom's life. He was reported to be married to the Blue Bloods television star Bridget Moynihan. Now, I don't know what she's like personally. I don't hear good things, but that's my favorite show. And on the show – I wish they'd write her off the show, let her retire or something. She's my least favorite character. But he was with her. They had a baby together. And when the baby was three months old, he was introduced to Giselle Bundchen, big supermodel person. And um, I'm surprised being a supermodel myself. I've never bumped into her, but I don't know who she is. But apparently, I mean, she does the woman's thing. I do the men's. But So Giselle Bundchen uh, and Tom Brady got together. And then, uh, you know, he's with with her now. I've been with her a long time. They have several kids. Apparently very, very happy. But he will tell you, you know, he didn't do the right thing. He did let his emotions on a private and personal letter uh, level, he let them mess him up. But had he not gotten his emotions together, you know, sometimes we kind of fall away a little bit. We do the wrong thing and we let it beat us forever. You know anybody like that? I know somebody like that, right? Sometimes that's true. Sometimes the thing you say is true about you, and it's true about me. I don't take doing messing up, doing the wrong thing very well. But in Tom Brady's life, he said, hey, i got to get it together. I can't mess up. i got people dependent on me. I'm dependent on you. And kind of like David, you know, think of David, you know, when I told you how much his, his – uh, football team loves him. His coach adores him. Not just because he wins all the time. He's just a he's a quality guy. He's a leader. He's principal. Sometimes, just like David, you know, had the mind of Christ. David had the mind of Christ. He he had a, his heart was was after God. You know, he was he just pursued God so heavily, but he messed up real bad. And you know what? Are we not all at some point in time thrown off course a little bit in our lives? We have the opportunity to choose differently at key points, and sometimes we make the mistake. 
And you know a man like Tom Brady with a lot of game time experience, you know what he says? Don't worry. Don't get overhyped. Be in it for the entire game. You can't run out of gas in the third quarter. The game is four quarters, and the fourth quarter demands all of our effort and all of our attention. Stay focused. Don't give up. In the toughest days of our lives, God says the same thing. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't give up. Now, I know it sounds like a bumper sticker on a a little VW bug parked alongside the road, you know, with a for sale sign on it. The bumper sticker, you're looking at the car, you walk around back, and there's a faded bumper sticker talking about, don't worry, God's got you. I'm telling you, my friends, just hang on to your faith in God. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. This is not in my sermon, but it just popped into my head. I was privileged in my lifetime to see Michael Jordan play live. I, I got to go see him. I was in the executive box one time, and I didn't like that, except for the shrimp were as big as your head. Man, they were awesome. They were the biggest shrimp I've ever seen in my life. They were like lobsters. And all the food was just so fancy. And, you know, I didn't have any money. It was the company that I worked for. You know, I'd earned this opportunity to go there. And so uh, I went there, and, I boy, I liked the food, but couldn't hardly see the game. So I asked the lady that's like the captain of the box. I said to her, I said, ma'am, can, can I, do I have to stay in here? She goes, well, kind of, yeah. And I said, well, I can't really see the game from here. And she's like, you have the best seats in the house. I said, yeah, but can I go down there? And she says, no, they'll kick you out. So I stayed there. I saw some seats that were empty. I'd spied them. And I said, man, if those people don't come by the middle of the first uh, first period, I'm, I'm going to go down there and sit in those seats and act like I own them. But I didn't do that because I chickened out. I didn't want to be thrown out. But the next time I got to go see Michael Jordan play, I was in the fourth row. And, you know, I don't know how many of you know me, but I like to be early. And if it's a real important thing, I like to be real early. So I got there two hours before the game, you know, and I'm checking my pockets because those who know me since the crash, you know, I'm always worried I'm going to forget something, lose something. So I'm always checking. I'm a little bit OCD about that. But since the crash, you know, my memory is so short, I just I forget, you know, and, and I'll ask, hey, did you see my tickets? Did you check your pockets? Oh, yeah, 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 I have pockets. And then I have 100 pockets because I like pockets. So by the time I get to the 100th pocket, you know, I'm sweating it like, oh, no, I left them home. Yeah, but I always have them. My point in that is this next time I got to see Michael Jordan play, I was only in the fourth row, and I was there two hours early. Now I thought I'm going to go into a darkened stadium. Well, no, I don't know if you've ever been to an event like that, but there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's a beehive. It's like being underneath of a – uh, what's that place called? The fancy place with the mouse down in Florida. You go there 900 times a year. Disney. So, yeah, yeah. Underneath, there's, it's a beehive. There's all this stuff going on. So I get there, and I think I'm going to be bored, and I'm hoping somebody's walking around selling fries or something. But much to my surprise, Michael Jordan, who was my favorite player, Michael Jordan is out there two hours before the game. He is drenched in sweat already, and I'm thinking, boy, that boy sweats. But what I realize is he works harder in practice than he does in the game. He has this fellow with just racks of basketballs, and he's just firing the basketball. Michael Jordan is like he's pretending like he's playing. He's not like pretending like I did. You know, I would do the music, the announcer, and everything when I was a kid. You know, the announcer would be, oh, they're running out of time. It's, oh, no, the clock's by the end. They're going to lose the game. Three, two. And then I shoot, and, of course, if I miss it, 
you know, this is my imagination, I'm fouled, of course, and then I go to the line. Well, now if I miss the foul shots, something else has to happen. They've got to put time back on the clock because they've got to win the game. You know, when you're a kid and you're announcing the game that you're imagining you're playing, you got to win. So you do whatever you can. So, but this guy's getting after it. It's unbelievable. It's the most amazing thing. And for the longest period of time, he's out there doing this. And, I mean, he's leaving the puddle. When he's standing there, just water's just pour. I'm thinking, does this fella know the game? He's, got to, he's still got to play a game. And then he came out there. And I don't know if you've ever gotten to see uh, a Michael Jordan game on television. But you see one thing on television. But that's not the deal. The deal is what he does when he doesn't have the ball. That's what's amazing. This boy gets beat up. That guy got beat up. People would push him down and grab on him and, you know, elbow him. You think, man, this is the great Michael Jordan. They, why would they do this? Well, don't they think they're going to get in trouble? But it's just he worked so hard to be excellent even without the ball. He was a selfless player. I never expected to see that. Tom Brady's the same way. Now, I'm not, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, to be honest. I, I admire what he's done. I'm using him as an example here. Because there's a lot of parallels. People have done great things if they're humble, humble people. You know, Michael Jordan was a very humble man. He is a very humble man, I'm told. And I'm told Tom Brady's a humble guy. Several players last night on the NFL, what was that thing called? Honors, NFL Honors or some kind of thing. They were interviewed for the Walter Payton. First time in history, two men won the Walter Payton Award. Two men, very humble men. Very humble men. One of them was... uh, uh, Peyton Manning's brother, what's his name? Eli Manning. Isn't that a shame? He's, he's won as many Super Bowls as his brother, and I can't remember what his name is. He's done all these wonderful things, amazing things, leader in the community, just a leader in the community. And the other fellow is Larry Fitzgerald. Man, what a story. What a story, the things he's done. There are some great people that do great things, but they'll tell you you have to be faithful. You have to be faithful to yourself and do the things that you need to do. Each and every day, you have to honor your calling, but you have to be faithful to your team. Well, our team is the name. It's not the game. It's the name. The name, capital N, A-M-E, the name of God. That's who we follow. That's our, that's our coach. That's our team. We know this. God is faithful. He will not forsake you. He has not forgotten you. It just seems that way when you're facing a difficult trial in this life. But it's a lie that the liar of lie, I mean, he is the... He is the, the, the head liar, the enemy, Satan. That's what he tells us during the darkest hours of our lives. He says, God's not listening. You can't win. He's not paying attention. He's not going to help you. In those darkest and most challenging of times, when you receive the diagnosis of the word you don't want to hear, the C word, when you get that diagnosis, Nobody wants to hear that. When you were praying, the doctor would not say you have cancer. That's a dark and challenging time. I know of a case uh, through friends that uh, have ALS, fairly young people, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Man, I don't think there's an angrier disease in the world. Do you? It's a horrible disease. You don't want somebody to come out of their mouth with that. You know, you're waiting. You you want them to say it's something silly, like you ate a bug while you were walking, and they got we just got to give you this pill, and it'll kill the bug, and then you'll be fine. When you receive that phone call, 
in the middle of the night. You know nobody wants to get a phone call in the middle of the night, don't you? Have you ever gotten a terrible phone call? Anybody here, show of hands, in the middle of the night, you got a phone call. It's the phone call you pray to God you never receive. But it comes. And you know that phone call will forever change your life. When your emotions are raging out of your control. And you know, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people, You just all you have to do is turn on the TV about four minutes. And you're going to see, hey, you feeling down? Take this pill. Hey, you've got this or that problem? Take this pill. You know, you you got some major issues? Take this pill. But if you watch long enough, that list of things that those side effects, my goodness. Well, it'll help your oh, – hey, listen, you want to quit smoking, you take this pill. Now, how you quit smoking is you kill yourself because you commit suicide because you get so depressed. But, okay, you're not a smoker, you know, plus side. But I, I listen to those, and I think to myself, my goodness, all these terrible things. And I think these people, a lot of these people, I know some people like this. It's darkness. It's They can't control it. It's not one of those things. Just suck it up. I think we need to understand that in this country, you know, depression, anxiety, and different mental illnesses, uh, you know, uh, the bipolar, manic depressive, all these things, you know, they're real things. And so it's dark. It's pitch black dark and utterly and completely hopeless at times. But I'm here to tell you, God is working on your behalf. He's holding on to you. He's working behind the scenes, and things will work out as they are intended, but we have to trust him. When you don't know what to do, just continue to trust in God and know that he is helping you, even when you don't see it or feel it. You know, we can't see the wind, but we can feel the wind sometimes. You ever go out, and it's a, it's a warm day, real warm day, maybe a real super hot day, and it's humid. And then all of a sudden, that breeze comes out of nowhere, and you just kind of close your eyes and put your head back. You feel that breeze hit you. And you think, ooh, that feels good. That feels good. Can't see where it comes from. Sometimes I think, thank you, Father. Thank you for that. You don't see it, you don't feel it. But we're told, persevere. Persevere even when you feel like you can't. Just don't give up. Don't quit. James 1, 2 through 4, testing of your faith is what it's called. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, and you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, uh, 9, uh, anyway, 24, 25 do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that is perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. Man, isn't that something? I just said, you know, Tom Brady said, and many other great athletes said, look, look when you, I'll give you an example. I just thought of it popped in my head. Um, if you run marathons, there's a lot of marathon runners in here, I see. Uh, so if you run marathons, you know what you had better do? You had better run once in a while, 26.2 miles. The day of the race, if you've only been on a treadmill doing, you know, 30 minutes on your lunch hour while watching some television show without being out of breath and being able to drink your drink and not spill it, look, don't run, don't sign up for a marathon. It's going to be a bad day for you. You have to train, but you have to train all the way through. Now, you can't run a marathon every day. 
Although, remember last week or the week before I told you about that lady that ran the equivalent of I don't know how many marathons in four days. Ten marathons, I think it was, in four days. That's crazy. It almost killed her. But she set a record. I don't know what you get with that, a pickup truck or something. I don't know. She doesn't seem like she would like a pickup truck, but if it were me, that would be what would inspire me. I still wouldn't do it, though. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? You know, it's it's kind of a different thing. We're coming into a different phase in our country, kind of going back a ways, you know. Back a ways when I was a kid, everybody didn't get a trophy. But we went through a period in this country where you just participate and you got a trophy. It weakened us. It made us weak as a nation. It made us weak as people. All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. The one who uh, trains the most and, and, and expects the most of themselves. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Don't run for last place. You know anybody like that? Every time, everything they get into, they always, they're like Eeyore. Oh, I guess I'll try for last place. You know, it's nobody wants following by like that. Nobody's gonna, nobody's going into battle saying, "Well, I hope I don't get most of you killed. Maybe some of you'll live." You know, they're not following you in the battle that way. But in your Christian faith, people aren't going to follow you into the battles of life, the darkness, the darkest, darkest nights, the terrible cold nights of life, and help you through that. If if you're just an Eeyore Christian, you got to train with strict discipline. Trials aren't any fun. I know it, and you know it. Trials aren't any fun. I don't mean to make it light of it. It's it's not something to be made light of. It's real. You know, people go through stuff. I and I talk to people every week, and I think, my goodness, I just thank you, Lord. You haven't. Well, I talked to somebody lost their child, lost their child unexpectedly. Hey, in the state of Delaware, a, a prison guard, real nice fella, real real nice fella. By all accounts, a super good guy, very family oriented was murdered this week in that big, if you watch the national news, there was a big prison riot, and and, uh, and they, they killed this guy. It's hard for his family. And then you've got that Navy SEAL, that chief Navy SEAL, his family. Yeah, they got to meet with President Trump in Dover, Delaware at the ramp ceremony, but that won't take the pain away. It's an everyday thing. Man, there's trials, and they're no fun. As Christians, we, we should not be surprised when our faith is tested. Really and truly, as a Christian, as a follower of the way, our faith is to be tested all the time. We're getting tested all the time. If you're a believer, you had better believe that you are going to be tested, especially if you're a believer. Now, the devil's doing his very best to steal or alter your faith in God, but the enemy's best is never good enough for God. Let me say that again. The enemy's best was never good enough for God. He is always, the enemy is always working. He never relents. He never gets up. He never gives up. He never goes home. He never says, ah, well, I tried. He's always scheming. He's always trying to find a way to trip you up. But the enemy's best is never good enough for God. The enemy's best was never good enough for God, and it never will be good enough for God. God is greater than the devil, and all we need to do, even though it sounds so pedantic and so simple, is hang on to our faith. Remember that God is for you. God is on your side. God will help you and see you through. If you listen to the coach, you know, Belichick, Coach Belichick and, and Tom Brady, uh, he's, every time he's interviewed, Belichick is interviewed, now he always looks like he's mad to me. He's, you know, and, and he always wears, it could be two degrees outside and snowing. This man, all he's got on is this magic unicorn hoodie. 
that thing must be the most amazing thing ever. It must be super top secret fabric or something because he's always got it on. But you couldn't tell if he was comfortable or not comfortable. The man's got a scowl. His resting face is angry like you're going to chew your head off. But whenever he's interviewed and he's asked about Tom Brady, he says this. He says, listen, that guy is a leader. And whenever Tom Brady is interviewed and he's asked about Belichick, he says, you know, that guy is a leader. He's not a prima donna. He says, I've got my job to do. I'm the quarterback, and he's the coach. It's not my job to question his decisions. And, you know, I think you would agree if you follow the New England Patriots, he's been pretty successful. Seventh Super Bowl. <laughs> you got to put one foot in front of the other. You've got to persevere, and you've got to trust the coach. You've got to trust the, trust the coach. The father knows the way. He knows the game plan. He knows what will work and what won't work. I'm going to say this one more time, and I want you to hang on to this. Maybe maybe write this down. The enemy's best never was good enough for God. It never will be. God is greater than the devil. Hang on to your faith. Remember that God is for you. God is on your side. God will help you and see you through, but you have to trust God. You have to trust God. You can't not trust him. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep persevering. Keep praising and thanking God, especially when you don't feel like it. Don't give up. Hang on. Hebrews 12, 1, 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and sin that's so easily entangled, and let us run with endurance. The race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You've got to look at the coach. When you look to the sidelines, coach, I'm in trouble. We're losing here. We're losing. It's coming up to the fourth quarter. We're in trouble. Look to the sidelines. Trust the coach. Look to the heavens and trust God. Fall to your knees and pray and trust God. He's been in this place with countless others that he loved before, and he knows the way. Trust him. Verse in its fullness says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of of God. I want you to say this with me in your heart. I won't give up on God. I trust him. I won't give up on God. I trust him. I'm reminded that tonight there may many folks be staring at the television, screaming and screaming and their teams. Oh, I follow this such and such. Oh, I'm of such and such. You know, and I've just never been like that. I like certain teams. I State Buckeyes. I really love watching the Buckeyes. My dog's name is Buckeye. And uh, my best friend, child, long, lifelong friend, he went to Ohio State. So it's kind of, you know, I have, a, I have a link there. So, and I lived in Ohio. And so, you know, I, I'm kind of into the Buckeyes. But, you know, what? if they lose, it doesn't affect me. It really doesn't. It doesn't affect me. I'm, I don't go to work mad the next day. And, you know, I don't scream at them like the, I'm the coach and they can hear me because I don't know if most people know. But when you scream at your television, the people that are on the television, they can't see you or hear you. But there's going to be some people that don't know that. Nobody told them, hey, you know what? They can't hear you and they can't see you. But they're they're screaming and screaming. They'll scream themselves hoarse. They'll scream at the refs for making the wrong call. How could you be so blind? You know. Meanwhile, no offense, but the refs are right there. They might have money on the game. People tonight might have money on the game, or at the very least, they'll be very emotionally invested in their favorite teams. They'll be hoarse tomorrow morning when they go to work. 
they'll, they'll probably call in. They'll call out of work. But they'll be hoarse from yelling tonight. They'll be so into it. If their team loses, they might be shattered, let down, drained, well, of course, until next year. And then they've got their hopes. Wow, this year we've got a good team. We're going to do this. This fantasy football thing, I don't understand it, not one bit. I have never understood it. I still have asked my son, Doyle, Doyle, help me understand what this fantasy football is. And he explains it, and then a glaze comes over my face. And I don't know if it's the brain injury or what it is, but I don't have any idea what he is talking about. But people are into it. They're into it. But this is what I've learned. I don't know much about fantasy football, but this is what I've learned in my life thus far. God has never, ever let me down. The more I trust him, the more he's trustworthy. You know, football players, they're human. They fail. Remember that as you cheer on your team tonight. Remember this too. God never, ever, ever, ever fails. Enjoy the game and remember the name. Join us on Wednesday. We'll be glad to have you. We're going to have a great show. What an honor it is to join you today and on Wednesdays. God bless you. Enjoy the game.